When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's a Padawan? Must be the money, boy! Huh? Oh, mama! The best in college football. The best in college sports. This is College Sports Now. Your inside look at the biggest games from around the nation. Here's Stephen Hartzell and Roddy Jones. All right, I'll go ahead and issue a disclaimer ahead of time today. Roddy Jones is a little bit more fired up than usual. Don't know why. Not sure what he had for breakfast today. Not sure if the wife fed him turkey bacon instead of the regular bacon or what it is. Maybe he went with the toaster strudel that had the icing instead of just like the other toaster strudel that doesn't Bro, have the icing. I, I don't know what eats, it is, but you're fired up today. Nobody eats toaster strudels in the morning. Nobody, nobody does that. It's not a real thing. It's a toaster breakfast. Toaster even exist. It's a breakfast item, bro. What you, you eat toaster strudels and eggos in the morning? I take don't. care of yourself. I don't bro. <laughs> see, folks. This is what I'm talking about. I don't know what it is about Roddy. He's fired up today, man. Do you want to talk uh, about it? I mean, did you have a rough weekend? What happened? Did I have a rough weekend? Maybe I've had a rough week. The past week has been terrible for me, Stephen. Terrible. I mean, did you see the Braves? The Braves. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's one thing. Let it did go. you see the? Did you see the Falcons? No, no, I, okay. I made a conscious decision to not watch that debacle. That was wise by you because uh, we lost to the Cardinals, who have a Texas Tech's head coach and Oklahoma's quarterback and just took it to the NFL and beat Dan Quinn, Matt Ryan, and Du Bois. And you know what? I take that back. I'm not even calling them Indem Boys anymore. It's just Matt Ryan, Dan Quinn, and a bunch of Jamokes. And Julio Jones. He's good. But then, then the Jackets go and lose. The only saving grace was that Georgia lost. 
Like, I, I all of a sudden had to become a South Carolina fan, which if you know anything about me and Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech fans in general, like, we don't really like to be South Carolina fans, but when they play the school from up the road, you got to be. So when Georgia loses in heartbreaking fashion, that's a good day for me, no matter what else happens. Sorry to all my Georgia fans. What's, uh, no, I take that back. I'm not sorry to all my Georgia fans. What's, uh, what's talk radio been like in the ATL for the last 48 hours or so? Um, it is doom and gloom for everybody. There's no hope. There's no, the only, here's, here's where the state of Atlanta sports is. The only thing that they're holding on to now, and I say they is like the larger group of, of Atlanta sports fans is Atlanta United. And if they can make another run, uh, to the MLS cup, they play the new England revolution coming up in the MLS playoffs and, uh, and we got to get on a run because we need something good to happen to this city. And, like, everybody's feeling bad for us. And they're like, oh, it's okay. It's just Sports Atlanta. The thing that you don't realize is this is my whole life. My whole life. This is what sports have been like. Dude, I'm sorry, man. Who hurt you? Like, what, look, what you, you, you got you, you to gotta compartmentalize this stuff. Atlanta Pro Sports are a separate discussion. That's a separate show. Well, that's, that's a ble- separate it, but forum. It's, it's bled into college. really has. You know, it's it's just it's just it's tough, man. It's tough. Well, here's here's the deal. We are going to talk a lot of college football today. We can start in Athens with what happened up there, because that was the biggest upset of the college football season. And going back to last year, I mean, you got to look at probably Ohio State at Purdue to find the last time where a team just got outplayed by a heavy underdog. I mean, South Carolina was a 24 point underdog going to Athens on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and the the difference between that Purdue game that Ohio State lost and this game that Georgia lost, obviously Ohio State kind of got blown out in that game. I guess there's no kind about it. They did get blown out in that game. Uh, b- but there was sort of a feeling of divine intervention in that in that Purdue game. Uh, maybe it's just the way the broadcast went, but with the uh, with the uh, with the fact that Rondale Moore has the incredible game. Um, and, and then just all the things surrounding that 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 particular contest. Uh, Georgia lost at home to this South Carolina team. And not only that, they came out flat. And, and the thing that surprised me the most is that if you look and listen and, and, and just talk to people who follow SEC football, everyone has talked about Georgia's offensive line as being the greatest thing since well, what's the greatest offensive line ever in the NFL? I don't know. The, the Cowboys a few years ago. Like, they, they talked about this offensive line like it was going to, to absolutely dominate every single game, and they, and they didn't. They actually got manhandled. I mean, Jake Fromm was under pressure constantly. and The dude hadn't thrown an interception coming into this game. He throws three picks. I think one of them was returned for a touchdown. It, it was just – it was one of those games where if you're a Georgia fan, like, Everything that could go wrong seemed like it went wrong. Have you heard the final call of the game on the South Carolina radio broadcast? Have you heard it yet? I have not. Would you like to? Oh, I think so. All right. Well, go ahead and turn this up. Here's how it sounded when uh, Rodrigo Blankenship lined up for a kick in double OT. Blankenship looks, nods, says he's ready to take it to the third overtime. Kicks it up. And no good! He missed it! it. He He missed it! it. And the Gamecocks win it at Athens. (laughs) It's second overtime. Carolina takes down number three, Georgia. They win it 20 to 17. I am not believing that. A two overtime victory against the number three team in the country. 
We break a four-game losing streak, and Georgia trots to the locker room. I'm not sure if that was uh, Todd Ellis and Tommy Suggs in the background or if that was Roddy Jones laughing and cackling as uh, Rodrigo Blankenship missed a field goal there in double overtime. That's the South Carolina radio feed courtesy of Learfield IMG College. 20-17. to 17. Look, here's the thing. You, you're, a, you're a renowned football analyst, Roddy. You work for the Worldwide Leader, so of course you point out the offensive line play. I'll point out something that's a little bit more obvious as a fan just watching this thing. Okay. Georgia's in a position where they need to chase points in the second half. Yeah. And guess what, kids? That offense... Couldn't do it. That ain't it. Couldn't I do mean, it. This is, we, we talked about this for the first six, seven weeks of the season, Roddy. Georgia's offense, when you look at these elite teams at the top of the polls, one of them is not like the other. And and the the, the one in this instance is, is Georgia's offense. If you need to score 40 to win a game, can you? I don't see it. That's the thing. Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, even Clemson. I know their offense has been sputtering, but still, we know what these guys are capable of. Don't even Clemson that after what they did last week. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. My point is is that Georgia's offense, while they have maybe the best offensive line in college on paper. Well, well, I I can tell you right now, they don't. Not after that game. You have to look at what you see on the field, and that is not the best offensive line in the country by any means. And I'm not sure they have been the entire season. Like, now we can go do the revisionist history thing and say, all right, South Carolina absolutely dominated at times. And South Carolina's got some good players. Don't get me wrong. But this is the best offensive line in the country. You should be able to, especially at home, you should be able to roll. And they, they haven't been able to do it. They, they didn't do it in this game. Now, for as much as we're piling on Georgia right now, let's, let's pivot and also acknowledge to our, to? to our friends in Athens that while the sky may be falling on November, or excuse me, October the 15th, if Georgia wins out, if they take care of business, oh, and oh, by the way, they will be favored in all of their games coming up, including the one in Jacksonville at a neutral site. If Georgia takes care of business, they're going to be in Atlanta. They're going to be playing for an SEC championship, which means they're playing in a de facto college football playoff play-in game. All right, uh, Stephen, I, I, I'm not so sure they're going to be favored in every single game. They go to Auburn on November 16th, and, and right now, I know you love my FPI, right now FPI has them as a dog. What does that mean? I don't, again, with the FPI stuff. Okay, FPI is the football um, wait, football power index. Uh, basically runs a bunch of simulations to say which team is favored, and uh, and, and it's right more than it's wrong. So like what, everybody, is the, what is the line for Georgia-Auburn right now? Uh, Auburn 54%. Uh, that's not a line. That, that's not a... No, it's not a line. That's but it math, gives you a, sir. It gives you a percentage. <laughs> gives you a percentage of times that Auburn wins this football game. And it's right more than it's wrong. Like FPI came out last week and everybody was looking at it weird because it had Miami favored over Virginia. And everybody's like, wait, what, what is going on? And who wins the game? Miami. FPI is pretty on it, dude. Okay. Well, do I have to explain it to you how this works again? I just don't we do this every podcast. I don't trust it. I mean, it's okay. fake news to me. I just, well, I don't, I don't trust it. You trust, so you don't trust the, the, the computers and the stats and the smart people in Bristol who come up with this stuff, but you trust the guys in Vegas who lick their finger, put it up to the wind and are like seven and a half. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Fair. Have you seen those hotels in Vegas? They're pretty yeah, nice. They're they pretty, pretty fancy. Nice. They, they didn't get to be so fancy because guys like me and you walking in there and decided to lay down our our hard earned Quan on a nine team parlay know what we're doing. Nine team parlay. That's aggressive. Yeah. Well, um, it is. But yeah, I mean, so so your your point about Georgia is right. If they win out, they're absolutely fine. The sky is not falling uh, yet. 
But the, the odds of them winning out the rest of the year, and you got Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, who secretly is very sneakily is five and one right now uh, at Auburn, Texas A&M, and then always, always dangerous going to Georgia Tech. Oh, come on, Roddy. Come on. You can't even say it with a straight face. You're right. I couldn't is that game that in Atlanta face. this year? That game is in Atlanta. How many We're- seats does Bobby Dodd hold? 55,000. There will be 40,000 Georgia fans there. I don't disagree with you. Georgia Tech has not beat Georgia in Atlanta since like 98. Yeah, they beat them in Athens all the time. Not all yeah. the time, but the, the last decade or so. Yeah, Two it's, decades. It's I happening. said 98. Well, That's 20 years. It's a home game for Georgia. Don't again with the math, man. Cut it out. <laughs> I, I, I was... I, I'll, I was shocked with what I saw Saturday afternoon, not just from Georgia's offensive line and, and Jake Fromm, who came into the game with zero picks and threw three and lost a center quarterback exchange to start the fourth quarter. It just, Georgia looked flat. You could say, you could point to a bunch of things. Noon game, 24-point favorite at home, by week looming. There's a bunch of things that you could point to, but... Georgia's got to be better. And maybe, you know, when it's all said and done, we can look back at this in November and say that was the best thing that happened to this Georgia team. But it just, boy, that's, you know, that's you a know, sobering loss. It's, it's, it's interesting um, because you, you talked about the bye week, and they got Kentucky this week but before they, they go into the bye. But when that bye week starts to creep up, you start to kind of look at it down the road uh, as, all right, in a couple of weeks we got a week off and we only got South Carolina and Kentucky before then, so so we're good. Like, that that can be a mindset that creeps in. And, and you know, we got on Clemson a little bit um, a few weeks ago when they beat North Carolina by one point, uh, well-documented, going into a bye week. Look, th- this is college football. And, yeah, I know we won our national champions year in and year out, to be a team like Clemson was last year, 15-0, absolutely dominate every single game, leave no doubt at the end of the year who the best team is. But that's not how it works. Go back and look at the seasons of the national champions of the past, and if they don't have a loss, I can promise you they've got a close game or two in games where you're like, huh, Clemson over North Carolina by one? That's weird. That doesn't fit to the rest of the season. Or, huh, Georgia losing to South Carolina at home? That's weird. That doesn't fit. It happens. It's college football. That's why we love it. Because any given Saturday, you can walk out there and the quarterback's girlfriend could have broken up with him or the receiver's got a hangnail or uh, the center had a hard test. And because of that, he hasn't studied his playbook quite as much or he just lost a little focus this week or maybe he had a few too many pops on Thursday night. Like, you just don't know. These guys aren't pros. There's so many variables that go into it. Or maybe they do everything perfectly and you just come out flat. Sometimes it happens. And then a South Carolina team comes in that is highly motivated, goes down to their third-string quarterback, and is still able to produce. So it's college football. It's crazy. That's why we love it. And that's why everybody who's freaking out about all their teams, where's my team ranked? My team's undefeated. It should be up here. My team's got one loss. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the season, we'll be sitting there with maybe one or two undefeateds. Maybe. And then you can make the argument between the one-loss teams. But especially in the SEC, especially in the Big Ten. It's all going to work itself out because they all got to play each other at some point. It's well said, man. Hey, while we're keeping things in the SEC, what, what did you take from LSU Florida? 42-28, LSU trailed for about, I don't know, five minutes in the second half before that offense started to really click. Uh, they end up 
pulling away from Florida and winning by two scores. But any any takeaways from the Florida LSU game Saturday night? Yeah, the the much maligned LSU defense this year. We've been poking fun at LSU's defense for the first time in I think a long time because that defense has been elite for a while. They are not elite this year. But you saw in a crucial situation down the stretch that they could step up and make plays. And Dave Aranda's defense did just enough uh, to let that offense go. LSU is not a team with an elite squad on that side of the ball. But the question that I have, and we're not accustomed to seeing it, the question that I have, though, is does it matter? Does it matter that that defense isn't going to hold you to 13 points every single time out? And I'm not sure it does because that offense is good enough where they're going to be able to score points on anybody in the country. You put up 42 against that Florida defense, and you can score on anybody, maybe except Wisconsin, because nobody scores on Wisconsin. But you can score on anybody. So when, when you're looking down the stretch, I, I am fascinated to see how this LSU team continues to evolve. Uh, they've got, they've got uh, Mississippi State, and then you get an Auburn team at home with another elite front, by week at Alabama. That is a tasty stretch of games for LSU. Uh, and it is going to be a great spectacle to see. Look, we're we're gonna we're gonna go into the Alabama game. Alabama, excuse me, LSU at Alabama. And if the over under is not like 80, then I think we're in for a rude awakening. Because I think it's gonna be it's gonna look like a Big 12 game. And the SEC's been making fun of the Big 12 for a long time, but those two offenses are going to absolutely light up the scoreboard. Total number of points that LSU has scored against Alabama the last three years combined, last three meetings, 12 quarters of football, LSU-Alabama. You know how many points the Tigers have scored? I don't. Ten. No way. They got shut out last year. They Dude. scored 10 in 2017, and they got shut out in 2016. That's Hot not going to happen on Saturday. Rod right? Stradamus, when LSU goes to Alabama, what is that? What date is that? November 9th, Bryant-Denny Stadium. That They're going to top that in the first 10 minutes. Okay, thank you, Rod Stradamus. Thank you. That was, that, that. That was That's pretty good, huh? very impactful. If LSU's defensive line can't get a pass rush and move Tua off the spot, uh, you could probably get away with it with guys like Bo Nix. Okay? You could probably get away with it to a certain extent with a guy like Kyle Trask. But if you can't move Tua off the spot, if you can't get a pass rush, you got problems. Yeah. That's all I'm I, saying. Look, I, I completely agree with you. The question that I that I pose is does it matter? Because who's going to stop LSU's offense? I, I mean, we like to think Alabama will, but but this Alabama defense hasn't been they haven't they haven't been the, the Alabama defenses we've seen in the past. So who's going to stop LSU's offense? I don't see anybody on that schedule that I look at and say, yeah, they can hold LSU to 21 points. Here's I, I don't see interesting. it. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but um, if Wayne Cook is listening out on the West Coast, he's probably about to drive into a ditch when I say this. You've got a situation looming with LSU and Alabama where if both of those teams take care of business going into that November 9th meeting, as we expect they will, um, loser's going to be obviously behind the winner in terms of the SEC West race. But if they're sitting there with one loss at the end of the year and they don't have to go to Atlanta to play in an SEC championship game, they are they are ahead. You see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. Yep. It's going to be yep. a problem. Yep. And when I say a problem, it's not going to be a problem for Greg Sankey and the folks in Birmingham. It's going to be a problem for the rest of the college football world. But, but here's 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 what's going to happen. And and I went to the mock selection committee and I heard what they talked about and all that stuff. You, you need. What what 
the Pac-12 needs, what the ACC needs. What needs to happen for two SEC teams not to get in is you got to have uh, either an undefeated conference champion or a conference champion that uh, has a loss that's comparable to LSU at Alabama or, or Alabama against LSU. You have to have a comparable loss. You can't have one of those egregious losses because, yeah, you're going to they're going to line up the schedules and all that. The only thing that is called out in the purview of the committee uh, of the things that we're talking about is conference championships. That is called out as something that is important. So your conference champ has to have an excusable loss if you're going to go up one loss against one loss team. Sweet humble brag, by the way, about you being invited to the mock selection committee. No, 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 no. The sweet humble brag would have been I was the chairman of the mock selection committee. That would have been the sweet humble brag. I just simply mentioned that I went. I could have gone further. What does that mean? You get a gavel? Like, what, is, what, what does that mean? It means you I sit w- at the head of the table. I say, hey, guys, it's time to vote. And when I say it's time to vote, we vote. Direct the conversation. I get to eat the peanut M&Ms. What do you want from me? I was the foreman in a jury once. Were you really? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to, like, you kind of volunteer. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a murder trial. It was, like, How'd literally, you know, I mean, we awarded some money. Somebody fell. I can't really talk about it. I think the statute of limitations hasn't come up yet. But okay. you can check the records. Clark County happened. Anyway. Very good. Other big games from the weekend, and we should mention that Nicole Auerbach is stopping by, our good friend from The Athletic, who's turned into a bit of a radio tycoon these days. She's all over XM. We'll talk to her about that. But she's going to be stopping by here in about 10 minutes from now. I kind of want to save the Big Ten talk for Nicole because she covers that league for the Big Ten Network, and she knows it better than most. Good. I'll fall asleep if we start talking about that. Wow. Really? Wait, what? They they play football in the Big Ten, too. Oh, I know. It's just sleepy football, man. No points, man. Come on. Any points. Did you see see Wake Forest and Louisville on Saturday night? Did you see that? I heard it was a basketball game that just happened to be played at PB&T Field. That's what I heard. Man. Inject that into my veins, as Stephen Hartzell likes to say. What's the final score? Uh, sixty-two fifty-nine, I believe. What are we doing? Like what? Like seriously, what are we doing? Let's go! Let's go! I saw that it was twenty-one nothing at one point in that game. Oh, or, it was twenty-one-seven, twenty-eight-seven. Like Louisville just jumped on the Deeks. What? What happened to my Deeks right down the road from where our CSN studios are? What happened? Yeah, Wake Forest was constantly trailing the game. Louisville, uh, look. The, the there is not a better coaching job. I, I I challenge you to find me a better coaching job this year than what Scott Satterfield has done with the Louisville Cardinals. I'll, I'll give you a minute to think about it. And if you want to pose one, feel free and we can have that conversation. But this is a team that quit last year, won two games, has already won four this year, including uh, playing Notre Dame tough to start the season. That was obviously a loss, though. But wins against BC and at the number 19 team in the country, Wake Forest, and say what you want about Wake and all that stuff. Look, Louisville played extremely well. They had a kick return for a touchdown. They had a kick return uh, to start the second half that was returned to the 13-yard line when Wake Forest was was getting closer. Uh, they had an interception right before halftime in the red zone that Wake Forest uh, turned the ball over when they were going to uh, pull it to within three. Uh, Louisville played fantastic. They got their, their starting quarterback, who was their backup to start the season, uh, Mikhail Cunningham, gets knocked out of the game. Evan Conley, a true freshman, third stringer, comes in, lights up the scoreboards, the ACC quarterback of the week this week because of what he did in the game. Uh, Louisville ha- has just played a, a an inspired form of football, and Scott Satterfield has has schemed his offense to the point where, where they, they, they maximize the talent that they have. They're not, they're not very deep, but they are extremely talented at the top. They throw the ball to four guys. That's it. 
two guys run the football. So essentially you have, what's that, seven guys, including the quarterback, that touch the football during the course of a game. It's not very many. And, and, and really five of them touch the ball the most. So they're not very deep, but they are extremely talented at the top and young and exciting to watch. They're one of the most explosive teams in all of college football. So I've had a chance to think about it after that Louisville diatribe. Uh, are they? Are you trying to get invited to the Bluegrass State to hang out and like shoot hoops with the guys my boy, or something? My boy, my boy Eric Wood is our sideline analyst. He's uh, he's a, he's Louisville royalty. I got to pay the card some love. Got man. it. Okay, good to know. I've got a couple of, uh, of of head coaching jobs that can contend with what Sat has done at okay. uh, at the Ville. Hit me. Uh, Matt Rule at Baylor. Sonny Dykes, SMU. Uh, really good year two guys. Really good, but but it's not their first year. I think it's Matt Rule's third year, actually. That's correct, yes. Uh, so so really good coaching jobs, but you've had a time to build a program at both of those institutions. Scott Satterfield walked in the door and turned a two-win team into a four-win team in six games. It does speak volumes to just how checked out Bobby Petrino was. Yep. Because Ag- you got somebody in there with a pulse, and Louisville sitting there at what, four and two? Uh, Yeah. Four and two. Uh, I mean, again, th- this team, like the Bank of Louisville last year, I joked about it in August when we were talking about, you know, our previews in the conference, and nobody really knew what to expect with Louisville. They knew they were going to be better because they couldn't possibly have been worse than a year ago when, yeah, I mean, they literally just, they would quit. They quit. Yeah, they, they quit. They would quit. Well, they, they quit and the coaching the staff of quit season, on them. But they would also quit like mid-game. Like you literally see it. Things Correct. would start to get sideways. Like I remember the Georgia Tech game yeah, you know, back when like, Georgia Tech was still winning games uh, last year, oof. and they just they just stopped. They're like, nah, nah, yeah, we're, nah we're good. I'm, I'm not really interested in tackling the rest of the game. I'm good, man. I got a party to go to. Um, yeah, yeah and look, the, the the coaches that you mentioned uh, have been fantastic. Um, I I think I think what Matt Rule's done at Baylor is is worth mentioning. Six and zero. Oh. I don't think anybody expected the Baylor Bears to be this good, albeit with a little bit of controversy in that Texas Tech game. But, hey, a win is a win is a win. Uh, and, and I don't know that anybody expected SMU to be the class of that league so far in the American. Uh, right up there with Cincinnati, albeit they're the only undefeated team in the league. But, again, Scott Satterfield, year one, has come in and absolutely flipped that program on its head. They're believing. They're exciting to watch. They're fast. And they got Clemson come. Uh, they're going to Clemson this weekend. And, uh, look, styles make fights. And I, I actually think if if Louisville does has a similar game plan to what they did a week ago, which is move the pocket, work everything uh, off of their play-action schemes, everything kind of starts looking the same for Louisville – and then it evolves into different plays. If they can do that against Clemson, they're going to make Clemson tackle in space. And I'm not sure anybody's really done that as like Louisville's going to. Not sure anybody's really done that this year. Clemson is a great tackling football team in space. So it's interesting, sort of a strength on strength. Tutu Atwell, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, and these receivers in space against Clemson's secondary and linebackers. It'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch, maybe for a couple of quarters. Clemson at Louisville Saturday, high noon. That's 11 a.m. local time, right? They're in central time zone there in the Ville? Uh, no, I believe Louisville's eastern time Okay, great. Uh, yeah, phenomenal geography by me yet again. Um, you want to guess the line? Clemson at the Ville? Uh, 19 and a half. 24. Oof. Look, I'm not saying they're going to hang around forever, but... Louisville's a team that believes. They they didn't lose to Notre Dame by 24. So, wait, what's 35 minus 17? Is that 24? It's 18. Okay, there you go. Thank Stop, you. Math. Stop, math. <laughs> Stop. 
You're, hurt, you're hurting server. It's early. I, I mean, got, it's it's I, early in I, the day. I got into this job because I knew for a fact there would never be any math. <laughs> Little did you know. Hey, while actually, we're, while we're talking to ACC, Roddy, yeah. do, do you want to try to predict what in the hell is going to happen in the ACC's Coastal Division? <clears throat> so, so I spelled this out for you um, in, in, our, in our pre-show prep. Okay, Here, here's, here's how the Coastal's shaking up right now. Okay, uh, In the Coastal Division, everybody's got at least one loss. Virginia Tech Miami have two. Georgia Tech has three, essentially eliminating them from the Coastal race. But they are the only ones eliminated from the Coastal race. Uh, UVA started the year by beating Pitt, who then went on to beat Duke, who beat Virginia Tech, who just beat Miami, who beat Virginia. So there you go. Like, what do you want? Uh, everybody's kind of beat everybody. The only team that has not lost to a Coastal opponent right now is North Carolina because they their only losses to Clemson. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think you can eliminate anybody. You, you, you certainly cannot. So, if, if you want a handicap, we're midweek through, midway through the season. If you want to look at what everybody's got left and who works out the best, that Duke, for, Duke at Virginia this weekend, well, it's basically an elimination game, I think. Because, <laughs> why, did you, why did you react like that? I mean, because we're, 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 we're putting Duke, Virginia under the microscope because we have to figure out who's going to go to Charlotte and get their ass kicked by Clemson. <laughs> Like, that's that's where we're at here. I just want the Coastal to somehow fall short of sending a 7-5 and five pit team from a year ago. Like, Look, is there any way we can improve on that, please? You know what so, I mean? That's a bad look, man. That's all I'm saying. It's just a bad look. Did you see that pit team schedule? Do you know who their losses were to? They lost an unexcusable game to North Carolina, but they lost to Penn State, they lost to UCF, and they lost to Notre Dame. Like, if if you if you were if you were to transpose Pitt's schedule, Pitt's non-conference schedule against uh, one of the uh, really strong SEC non-conference schedules, oh, here like, we go. I like can, that's I, a, I sense your sarcasm, Roddy. That's a ten-win team. If you if you take out Penn State, uh, Notre Dame, and what was the other one I said? The North Carolina game. That's inexcusable. But 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 if you take out the the non-conference and you were to get just a couple of cupcakes in there. Then that's a ten win team. So 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 when you look at it, like was Pitt a great team? No. Were they a top twenty five team? Very 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 possibly. I mean they lost to Miami at the end of the year and that didn't look great. But anybody who could not make them anybody who, who could not stop them from running the ball, they were great against. And there were only a handful of teams, elite defenses. Miami had an elite defense last year. Elite defenses kept them from running the ball, and, and and those were the ones that gave Pitt trouble. Everybody else they rolled over. Like I mean, and and we could like Pitt squarely in the mix. They are square. They got a Friday night game against uh, against Syracuse up in the Carrier Dome this week. They could win the Coastal again. Where are you at this weekend? What what, what uh, ACC matchup will you be taking in with your own eyes? Georgia Tech at Miami, and and I'm not sure I appreciate the tone that you took right there. What are you talking about? There's no tone. What ACC matchup? Who's going to get their behind kicked by Clemson? Like, come on, man. Any given Saturday. Georgia Tech and Miami. I had that listed on the uh, on the Pickham segment at the end of the uh, at the end of the show. But I will have to. I, I know that you will recuse yourself. I will. Just like Herbie at game day. You know, he doesn't yeah. pick the game that he's calling. Can't do it. So I, I have to. I have to strike out Georgia Tech at Miami at noon down there in Hard Rock Stadium. Sleepy. Hard Rock Stadium. Come on now, that place was rocking last week. It was week. rocking for a Friday night affair. It will not be rocking for a Saturday nooner. Come on, man. People are going to roll straight from the club up to Hard Rock Stadium. No chance. Get the hair of the dog in the pregame, and they're going to pack that place for the Jackets coming to town. 
no, no, no chance. Uh, Miami should uh, handle their business. They're heavy favorites against uh, Roddy's beloved uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 18-point line. All right, we take a break. When we come back, we cover a variety of topics, including maybe a deep dive on the Big Ten. We'll see where it goes. We've got Nicole Auerbach, longtime friend of the program, writer with The Athletic, also does Sirius XM work, also does Big Ten Network. She's everywhere, folks. She's a rock star. Nicole Auerbach will join us here on the uh, early edition Tuesday show here on College Sports Now. Back after this. This is Stephen Hartzell, host of the College Football Blitz. Heard every Saturday from noon until midnight Eastern on TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. When there's a big play, a momentum change, and if that possible upset is happening, not only will we let you know, you'll hear the scores as they happen live. Catch all the action as we count you down to the college football playoff. It's the College Football Blitz. Saturdays, noon until midnight Eastern on the College Sports Now channel on TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. All right, while we wait to hook up with uh, Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, we'll keep it rolling here on College Sports Now. By the way, at CSNow Tweets, if you want to interact with the show, you can drop Roddy a line uh, at RoddyJones20, and uh, maybe he'll respond, maybe he'll block you. I'm not sure. It just kind of depends how strong you come in the, uh, in the mentions there. No, no, no. See, uh, I, had a, I, had a, uh, I had a guy call me out for something I said on air. Whoa. And, yeah, so, so long story short, I'm not going to mention any names. I'm going to protect the innocent, semi-innocent. But I said something about a kid's high school offensive line, saying that it wasn't as good as a college offensive line he played at. Well, the offensive line coach at that particular institution took offense to that, and he hopped up in my minchies. He's like, hey, if you want to give me a call, I'll set the record straight. So you know what I did? Instead of doing, I don't handle my business out in public. So I sent him a direct message. I'm like, bro, send me your number and we can chat. Crickets. Like, let's go. You want to come at me? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, all I heard from that is that Roddy Jones is getting into fights with uh, high schoolers. Is that, did I, did high I get that correct? High school football coaches. Oh, okay. High school football coaches. Okay, got it. You want to come at me? Like, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk. Film don't lie, bro. At Roddy Jones 20, for those of you that want to come at uh, the King, you you best not miss. Uh, Takeaways from Oklahoma, Texas over the weekend. We've got some sound. Anytime Toby Rowland gets fired up, we play it with gusto here on CSN. Hertz has it. Handoff. Flea flicker. Back to Jalen. Lob out. CD wide open. Caught at the 30. To the 25. Dance in midfield to the 20. Breaks a tackle. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. TD for CD. Yes. Yes. So good. Yep. Toby Rowland, Learfield IMG College, Oklahoma Radio Network. 34-27 Sooners could have been a lot more for OU, though. Could have been a lot more if they didn't have some costly red zone turnovers in the first half. My takeaway, Roddy, I think it's Oklahoma, and then there's a pretty serious rift or gap before you get to the rest of the Big 12 Conference. What would you make of the Red River Showdown? I, uh, I agree with you on the, on the gap in the Big 12. Um, you know, when you're when you're telling me that that Baylor is the is the team that maybe can condemn with Oklahoma at the top, I think you got an issue there. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the the fact that the Oklahoma D has improved as much as it has this season is a testament to what Alex Grinch has done. Uh, that's a defense that's kind of for realish, you know, like you, you, you it's certainly a, a less porous group than they were a year ago, really a less porous group than Lincoln Riley's had since he's been the head coach there. Uh, and, and with what they can do on offense, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it was Baker or Kyler or this year Jalen Hurts, uh, the talent on the outside is so good. 
that as long as you don't turn the ball over, they're going to light up the scoreboard. And, and honestly, if you started a fantasy college football team right now, if you, you had a fantasy draft, and you could pick anybody in the country with your number one overall pick, I'm not sure you don't pick C.D. Lamb first. I'm serious. That dude was incredible on Saturday. Incredible. He couldn't be tackled. He was awesome. So uh, I I was impressed by Oklahoma. Um, All in all, they were very balanced. Uh, They could could have been a little bit better on on third downs, but but ultimately when you got – Guys on the outside like they have, uh, especially that dude C.D. Lamb, man. He is so much fun to watch. Uh, they're they're going to be dangerous. They are a – I mean, they cemented themselves as a real player. And you know, Kennedy Brooks was really good. Um, I, I, I love what I saw from Oklahoma on Saturday. Here's the thing, man. Texas was so banged up. I mean, the tackling in that – or lack of tackling in that defensive secondary. I mean, that highlight we played with C.D. Lamb running through and around Three Texas players. That has nothing to do with you being banged up. That has stuff that has to do with will, uh, technique, and the fact that CD Lamb is unreal. Yeah, he's pretty good at football. Hey, we've got our uh, we've got our friend Nicole Auerbach with us from the Athletic. Uh, Nicole's very busy. I mean, she's writing, she's hosting radio shows. I know she stays up late to watch reality TV. I know her viewing habits. Uh, Nicole, thank you for making the time for us. Uh, I, there's a lot of things we want to talk about, including some some deep dive in the Big Ten. Roddy was making fun of the Big Ten Conference earlier on the show. Roddy, do, do you want to share with Nicole what you had to say about the Big Ten Conference? Well, it's just it's just you know, I, I, with a lot of the games, it gets a little sleepy for me. Not a lot of points. I like my I like I like the uh, 62 to 59 games that we get in the ACC injected into my veins. The uh, the 17 13 affairs they put me to sleep. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, oh, you mean um, 10-3, the, the Michigan-Iowa, I, I was going to say masterpiece, but probably not the right word for that one. Um, yeah, no, I, I listen, I'm with you. There, there are some games that are very much like this is the this is how football used to be played. Um, the, there's a stat going around this week of the Big Ten that's like the first time they've had four teams undefeated or 6-0 uh, since 1904, so a little bit similar to how football is played back then, um, but that's fair. That's fair. But I will say, if you just watch Ohio State, uh, that's that's not the case. Everybody else, that's kind of fair. But if you watch Ohio State or Wisconsin, you're probably not having that happen. Hey, Nicole, are are we sleeping on uh, PJ Fleck and the the Golden Gophers? I, I mean, you know, we talk about undefeated teams, and you know, that's fun and cute in September. But now we're in mid October, and Minnesota's sitting there. They're finally ranked. They're sitting at 6-0. and What do you make of the job that he's done, and, and, and is Minnesota somebody that we need to take seriously in the Big Ten West? Um, I'm, a little, I'm a little torn on that. I, I, they're going to be undefeated, I think, until they play Penn State in November. So we're definitely going to keep talking about them. Um, and, you know, they've shown in the last couple of weeks that they can actually blow people out and they have an offense that can run the ball. Um but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's still Wisconsin. Um, and, but, it, but what's interesting about the way that, the, that Minnesota's schedule shaped out is, let's say Wisconsin goes and loses to Ohio State and Columbus, and that's their only loss, and then Minnesota loses to Penn State, and that's their only loss, then it's all going to come down to their game against each other, and they, they legitimately would have a chance to win the West. Um, so that's kind of surprising to, to me. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all worked out really well for them. They had a couple scares early. Uh, their crossover games are not nearly as challenging as Wisconsin's and Iowa's. So, I mean, technically, yeah, they're going to have a chance to win the West. Um, I'm still not, you know, sold that they're, that they're an elite team. 
Um, but but I think they're they're certainly better than I thought, and they're they're better than I thought a, you know a month ago when when they were eking out wins. They're, they've definitely got something going now. Uh, speaking of, of Wisconsin, let's talk about them. Obviously, they're they're at Illinois this week, but then the Ohio State game in a couple of weeks. I mean, that thing looms large as 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 one of the most exciting games of the year potentially. What do you make of Wisconsin? And is that defense as good as we think it is, or just a production of or a product of not having played anybody that can score points? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's both. Like, I, I'm a believer in Wisconsin. I, I really think this is a good football team they're really balanced um jack cone quarterback has been obviously a much an upgrade from alex hornybrook because he's not making mistakes alex hornybrook would, would throw interceptions and just put his he would put so much pressure on that defense um and the defense is better this year it hasn't really been exposed yet and we don't know where its weaknesses are yet which are probably in the secondary but um it, that that's and that's in part because they have not played an offense that is ranked in the top half of the country in total offense. And that is, both those things can be true that, yeah, it's super impressive that out of six games, they've had four shutouts and they're, they're, you know, statistically arguably the best defense in the country, but also they haven't played anyone that's actually challenged it. Um, so I'm consciously optimistic because, you know, I think, Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best one of the best players in the country. Jack Cohn is an improvement at quarterback. This offense, offensive line is really solid. I love that this team always has the same identity, where it's like, "Hey, you know, we're going to run the ball, and we're still going to do it better than you can stop it." And so, I love all of that. The defense team has improved, but it's okay to be cautious because, again, they have not gone up against an offense that's in the top half of the country in terms of total offense and, and yardage that they're putting up. So it's okay to be a little bit nervous about that defense. We're going to learn a ton when they go up against Ohio State because that's the type of offense they would need to keep up with if we're going to be talking about them as a potential playoff team. But I do think it's interesting because even if they lose that game to Ohio State, it's, it's possible they're going to meet up again in the title game. And then I think the committee views the idea of beating everybody on your schedule as, as, as a really – positive thing i mean we saw it with oklahoma last year like that matters so you know it's, it's one of those games i kind of feel the same way about alabama lsu where the loser is not necessarily eliminated from anything because you're still going to be in an okay position depending on how the committee respects the team you just lost to yeah it's a great point roddy and i were talking about that uh, earlier here on the show talking about november 9 when lsu visits bryant denny to play uh, to play alabama hey Nicole, speaking of big-time matchups looming, we got one Saturday night, whiteout, Penn State hosting Michigan. The Lions makers have Nittany Lions, have the Nittany Lions as a nine-point favorite, all right? Now, that could change, all right? Public money could come in on Michigan. Things could sway a little bit, but they're telling you that this isn't going to be a one-score game, and, and I'm just curious how you perceive this matchup because if Michigan loses, like, where does this conversation, where does the narrative turn? Do we... Do we do we elevate Penn State to being this team that can compete for a Big Ten championship, or is it all about Jim Harbaugh and underachieving in Ann Arbor? I think it's a fascinating game coming up on Saturday because of the repercussions. Yeah, but but I would say because um, you know, and then that spread seems fair to me because people are so out on Michigan. I mean, like it's certainly there's definitely the five and one team in the country that people think are totally out on. Um, that I don't know if it necessarily changes the perception or the narrative with Michigan because I think people are already 
disappointed already. Shea Patterson is regressing, and this offense is not doing what they told us in offseason it was going to be doing. There's no offensive identity. Like All of those basic things that people have been frustrated about since the Wisconsin game, really since Army, um, they're still going to be there. And so I think if they lose, and they lose by a couple scores, like that's kind of what people thought they would see out of Michigan, and it just continues the frustration that and the narratives that have already been there. Uh, but I do think, you know, the, the more we see Penn State be impressive, um, you know, and again, they, they, their two close games are the two best teams they played, you know, in Iowa and Pitt. Um, but they're, but they, when they have just trounced people like Maryland, that's kind of how we initially, like, opened our eyes to this team. Um, and I think, you know, if, if they always play well in whiteout games, um, you know, they're going to be highly motivated. If they're able to beat Michigan – pretty handily. I mean, I think we're definitely going to be talking about, we're going to be circling that Penn State, Ohio State game. Um, and we, you know, we'll have a serious conversation about, you know, whether or not there are three legit national title contenders out of the Big Ten. Because I think, you know, in, in much the same way people are hesitant with Wisconsin based on the quality of opponents, kind of the same way with Penn State. Uh, but fortunately, you know, they're in the East and they're going to have a bunch of games where we're going to see what they have and what they can uh, what they can do but yeah I mean I, I think you know that game against that that game against Ohio State really could have you know major implications because you know it, and it has in the past too because you know as you guys know with the playoff there, there's a lot of stakes with it in your own division because it can knock you out of the championship game um, in your conference and so, so it's going to be really interesting to see how all that shakes out but you know, Penn State wins big, and we're still going to be talking about grumbling about the same things with Harbaugh and Michigan. But and we will just be, you know, again, we will just continue to be impressed with Penn State. So I think if that happens, that's kind of what people expect. Nicole, before we jump out of the Big Ten, uh, Stephen and I had a little friendly wager at the beginning of the year. He was real, real high on the Cornhuskers, so he said to me, "If the Cornhuskers don't win nine games this year." essentially going nine and three, he was going to sing karaoke on this year podcast. Here they are sitting with three losses. Uh, At what point should Steven start warming up the vocals? And is he going to be singing? Oh, he's definitely going to be singing. So now yesterday, like, (laughs) I mean, this is, this, that's not going to happen. And listen, like we, you know, as the outside world probably put too much pressure on Nebraska. Like they were still coming off a four win season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, Scott Frost magic in year two is, is necessarily going to happen this year. I think we'll have an okay season. Um, but it's, it's going to be one of those years where they're, it's going to be possible to get to a bowl game and that would be huge because they're so young and the extra practices would be huge for them. Uh, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about five, maybe six wins. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule guys. I mean, they get Wisconsin and Iowa at home. I mean, it's still doable. I mean, we could still run the table. There could be, it could be a push, Roddy. It could be no, there could be no singing for, for either party. It's, it's possible. Somebody's singing at nine. I'm singing at eight. You're singing. All right. Whatever. Apple cider vinegar, whatever people do to like kind of warm up those, warm up those vocal cords. They're warm. I'm not, I'm not worried. I just, I'm worried about the playlist that Roddy's going to come up with. Uh, Cause the winner gets to pick the Maybe song. Maybe I'll get Nicole in on this. Like what, yes, what, what song, I, what song I, should he sing? No, I will help you. We will. We will come up with the maximum impact 
song choices. I'm thinking no. some Taylor Swift or something. No, nah, I can't do Swifty. I, I can't. Come on, man. You got you to gotta be fair. You got to be fair. <laughs> uh, Nicole, when you look around the, the rest of the college football landscape, you know, are, are you surprised with anything? You know, I, I've, I've, I've heard from some people that, you know, it's, it's kind of predictable. It's, it's the same teams at the top, you know, in, in terms of the, these, these blue blood programs that are sitting there undefeated and, and, and are contenders as we start to get, you know, midway through the month of October. Any, anything surprise you? Anything stand out from what you've seen through the first seven weeks? Yeah, I mean, I will say it is a little bit of the same old suspects. We just did um, we kind of we had preseason playoff picks at the athletic, and we just kind of reevaluated them at the midseason point. And the four teams that I I did agonize over them it won't sound that way, but you know, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, these are all teams we've seen in the playoff before. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's certainly that. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, LSU has been really exciting to watch and to talk about because they're kind of the new shiny thing this year, because we're seeing them do things offensively. We have never seen, you know, LSU do, um, it's kind of like how we talked about Alabama last year and when Lane Kiffin got there and kind of initially started to open things up. Um, so, I mean, they're certainly capable of breaking into this and, and kind of saving us from the monotony of what we've seen before. Um, I, I don't really see that in other conferences. I, I don't necessarily write off the Pac-12 yet. I think Oregon and Utah both, you know, you're talking about if, if one of those teams is a one loss, there's a lot of Pac-12 teams that are ranked. Um, I guess we'll see how the committee views them when they do their first rankings. But um, like there, there is some potential for some chaos in there. Um, we haven't seen Wisconsin Ohio State games played yet we you know the um we still the iron bowl at auburn this year even though auburn has a true freshman quarterback and that could be a challenge for alabama like there, there are some interesting roadblocks here but like i said i mean i agonized over it this weekend to figure out if i could make a case convince myself that somebody new would break through like do i really think lsu could get over the alabama hump and then maybe beat florida again in the title game whatever and i just could not get away from just being like okay Dabo and Nick Saban, I just, you know, they made it every single year since we've been here, you know, and then you go with Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts and you're just thinking like there is a certain caliber of player and offense that is required in these games. And it's just hard to go against that. So, you know, it, it seems like I'd love to be proven wrong because this fresh blood is exciting and interesting, but yeah, I mean, there just seems to be a small group of teams that are in contention for this thing. And it's the same teams this year. Uh, Nicole, before we let you go, I, I, you're busy. You got a lot going on. You're, you got the the writing stuff with the athletic. You're you're co-hosting all over satellite radio. You got the Big Ten Network analyst responsibilities. Where can our listeners uh, find you these days? I feel like you're everywhere. Yeah, all of those places. Um, but I will keep you all posted on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach what I'm doing and where. Uh, but yeah, it's a little it's a little chaotic. But you guys know you gotta do a zillion different things and be on a bunch of different platforms. It's 2019. That's how we got to do it. Will you do us a favor though? Will you keep John Jansen in line on the XM stuff? I mean, he's, I try. I really do. You know, I try. He's he's a a loose cannon. He needs to be talked to. He needs to be coached. You can't, you can't let him roam free. Well, we did a show the week, uh, Wisconsin had beat Michigan. So it was more of a therapy session, you know, but otherwise, yes, you need to rein him in. That one was like, I need to pull you up from the floor. No, I hear you. Uh, Roddy said he's willing to let you slide in on TV uh, and do a game as an analyst alongside West Durham if 
you let him start writing for the athletic. Yeah, I just got to okay. ghostwrite a couple pieces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Deal. We'll do okay. it. Sounds good. There Sounds go. good. And, and it's and you know it's 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 kind of fitting since you have uh, you left us on the ACC side of XM. So. Wow. Oh, wow. Deep burn, okay. Roddy Jones. Deep burn. Right there. She left right the there. ACC for the Big Ten, huh? You're still salty about it. Yeah, it's, I'm still salty about Maryland, so of course I'd be salty about Nicole. Yeah, let it go, buddy. Let it go. Uh, Nicole, appreciate the time as always. At Nicole Auerbach on Twitter, The Athletic, XM, Big Ten Network. She's all over the place. Thanks so much for the time, Nicole. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. All right, we will keep it rolling, and maybe we'll get an appearance from Rod Stradamus as we look ahead to week eight. Stick around. Glad you're with us. Tuesday edition, College Sports Now. The biggest schools. Touchdown, Penn State. Alabama. Oklahoma. Ohio State. We'll win it. The big, big, biggest games. Kick is good. The Longhorns lead it. Intercepted at the goal line. The dogs have picked it up. Reliving the weekend on the gridiron. It's the College Football Rewind. Throws over the middle. Pass broken up. Download on Sunday mornings on Apple Podcasts. This place, it's an inside asylum. Search college sports now. Before we sign off, I'm looking at the week eight slate. I've had to already delete the Georgia Tech at Miami game from this list because you will be there for the ACC network down in where is that? It's not it's not Miami. Coral Gables. Coral, Coral Gables. Gables? Yeah. Okay. Oh no, no, no. The Miami's in Coral Gables. The stadium is in uh it's just outside of Hollywood. I think it's Fort Lauderdale. It's got a name. I can't remember. It used to be Hollywood Gardens or Miami Gardens or something. I Who think knows? it's Miami Gardens. Yeah, I think it's Miami Gardens. Who knows? It's going to be sleepy. It's going to be it's going to be a, a quiet, not woke stadium when the uh, Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech roll in there for a noon game. That's where Roddy Jones will be alongside West Durham on the ACC Network. Contact your local cable subscriber. Uh, I'm looking at the list, however. We talked about Clemson at Louisville. We're both very impressed with what Coach Scott Satterfield has done in a short time. Probably a large part of the reason why schools like North Carolina and Georgia Tech and others wanted his services when he was uh, when he was looking around to go somewhere after after leaving Boone. But that game's not going to be competitive, right? Clemson at Louisville, not for four quarters. No, not for four quarters. But but Louisville again, Louisville's going to be the most explosive team that Clemson's faced all year. So it's it's a different kind of challenge now. Uh, does Mikhail Cunningham play? I don't know. We'll see. Does does Evan, if Evan Conley rolls out there as a true freshman uh, against a Clemson defense that is swarming, uh, that could be dangerous. So you know, uh, this it's look. Louisville's not going to be able to stop Clemson. That's the other thing. You know, who do you trust more to get stops? Clemson, absolutely. So, no, it's not going to be competitive for four quarters, but but it's interesting enough to watch because it's a different challenge for Clemson. Most explosive team that they've seen all season. Another noon game in the Palmetto State of Intrigue. Florida at South Carolina. Gators coming off of a loss. South Carolina coming off of a huge win. Do you look at this game differently than you would have, say, I don't know, a week ago? No, not really. Uh South Carolina, if they're able to beat Georgia and Florida, then then do we need to start looking at South Carolina as the favorite in that division? I mean, I I, I would imagine we do. Uh, sitting there at at two and two, they'll have wins over Georgia and Florida. So so you know they could very possibly um, be the be the uh, be the ones to to get after in the SEC East. But no, I don't, I don't look at it, I don't look at it any differently. I think. Georgia had a down game. South Carolina played out of their minds. Can they do it two weeks in a row? I don't really trust it. So, no, I think Florida rolls. Florida is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Rolls. In that game. 
Rolls, huh? Interesting. Rolls. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be a tough game to get up for at noon. Um, looking- uh, especially coming off a huge Georgia win, man. Like the emotions of college football, winning in Sanford Stadium, and then coming back and facing Florida. Can you get up like that twice in a row? We don't see it happen very often. I got a game for you. Now it's out west, but it's early enough that this is going to have the eyes of the nation on it, and it should. Number 12, Oregon, at number 25, Washington. I can't figure out the Huskies. I'm going to stop trying. I mean, I I really just I have no idea what I'm getting with Chris Peterson's guys. But this is a rivalry game. It's in Seattle. Oregon is favored by a field goal. And this Ducks defense, we talked about it on last week's show with Michael Felder from Stadium TV. I mean, Herbert gets all the press. Because he's the quarterback and he touches the ball on every play. But have you seen this Oregon defense make plays? I mean, they are swarming. Yep, yep, they are. Uh, <laughs> it's a swarm of ducks. the the uh, The interesting thing is is how, how does this Oregon offense evolve with Jacob with Jake Breland being out for the rest of the season? The tight end, uh, very good player. I think he was their leading receiver. Is their leading receiver? Uh, how do they continue to evolve? Who does Justin Herbert decide to go to now? How does that offense change when your leading receiver? is out for the year. Uh, That's a big question, especially when you have to answer it in Seattle in a rivalry game. So uh, look, I, I I don't, I can't figure out the Huskies either. Who do I trust more? Uh, Jacob Eason or Justin Herbert? I'm going Justin Herbert, but crazy things happen in the PAC 12 and it's not after dark, which is even weirder. So it's PAC 12 in the light, crazier things happen in PAC 12 in the light. Like they live in the dark. So when you come to the light, you never know what you're going to get. Wow, that was deep, man. Wasn't it? Washington beat Arizona Saturday night in a game that kicked at eleven o'clock Eastern time. I know you weren't stay I know you didn't stay up to watch that. Oh, I was up. Wake uh, Forest and Louisville was still, was still going. Wake, For- Wake Forest and Louisville just started the third quarter. <laughs> that game took literally seven hours to play. Um, but you know, Washington trailed at the half and you're like, yeah. Oh, here we go again. Huskies in the desert. L uh, and then they flipped the script, and they, they really got after uh, Arizona in the second half, ended up winning that game in blowout fashion in uh, in Tucson. But, yeah, Oregon at Washington. Don't know what I'm going to get with that team uh, out there in Seattle, but they host the Ducks. Big-time rivalry game. Last year was a, a thrilling finish as well. So we'll That's see. one of those games that, that I really want to get out to at some point, uh, either in Austin or, or in, at Husky Stadium in Seattle. Uh, I would I would love to go see that rivalry because it is it, it's awesome. It is so much fun to watch on TV. Well, you know, Roddy, you keep plying your trade in this industry, and uh, you know you might get the call up, man. I, I could see that happening in the not too distant future. You saying you saying I'm gonna get the Nicole Auerbach CSN bump? Uh, there, there, it is such a thing. I mean, the, the the list of CSN alums who are now doing very big things is uh, is a long list. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I. I <laughs> I could take that a couple of different ways, but yeah, regardless, I can get you out there this Saturday. If you want to go, I got a guy. I can get I, you out there. I got, I got, I got to work, but you know, uh, I do want to go one, one year. Yeah. I think Texas, Oklahoma is at the top of my rivalry games list. Really cl- was really close to going to that one. Cause I was in San Marcos on, on Thursday. I know you were. So we were real close to making to my wife flying out and us going to the Texas OU game in Dallas. She's from Texas. So anytime, any excuse to get back to Texas is, is enough for her. Uh, let's just say the tickets were going to, they were, they were going to cost a pretty penny. So uh, we politely declined. Yeah. But here's the thing about Texas OU. You get the fair. You get to go to the fair. Like I'm big on fairs. Mm, are you? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. We had our we had our there. local fair come through last week. Actually, Server, did you end up going? 
I didn't go to the fair. What? I didn't have time. What? And plus, it's like, man, you get in there, like, you, to walk into the fair, you're 20 bucks in the hole. Okay. Oh, okay. You well, to pay, park, too. Yeah, you got to pay 10 bucks to park. You have 10 to 15 to get in. And then you get a soda for $7. And it's like, mm. oh, well, I've already spent $30. So, no, yeah, I didn't true. go to the fair. If you go to the Texas State Fair, you're probably paying $50 for parking. Right. 100 to get in. Yeah. Come on. And then when you get one of those fried Snicker bars, it's yep. like uh, 30 bucks. That's yeah. still cheaper than going to an NBA or NFL or even college football game, for that matter, guys. Haven't, haven't done any of those things either. Also true. Yeah, I don't. I will, <laughs> this is going to sound real first world, but uh, wouldn't know. Wouldn't know about college football game. How much does it cost to get in? I don't know. I don't know. I work for the Worldwide Leader, but I, I am going <laughs> to hang out in this catered air-conditioned suite where I get to call a game. How about that? It is It is certainly not catered unless you count bananas and Cheez-Its. Come on. For the man. halftime snack. You don't have a craft service table for an ESPN production? Please. Uh, no, sir. That's no. That's simply not true. Absolutely not. That's not true. All right, when we get the Deeks at Wake, after you're done with the Blitz, you come on over to the stadium, and I'll see. I'll, I'll let you see how, how, how we live. Bro, the Blitz is a seven-hour shift, man. Unlike what you guys do in TV where you show up five minutes before the game kicks, you get some stats handed to you, the, the script is already written, call the game, get on a PJ and hop out of there three hours later. That, that, that ain't what we do here on the Blitz, okay? The Blitz is seven hours. It's wall-to-wall football. Nice try. Uh, yeah, you're, you guys are grinders, man. You do the you do the uh, the un, the thankless work that everybody needs. I mean, it's literally a salt mine in here. It's 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 literally. Yeah. I mean, there are fumes. I mean, it's it's dangerous work, man. It's dangerous work. Speaking of dangerous work, Temple at SMU. That's right. I went there. Top of the AAC. They they play pretty good football in that conference. Owls, ponies, three thirty, Dallas. I'm fired up for this game, man. I'll be honest with you. I'm fired you should up. Be. You should what, be. What was the line you made earlier? Styles make fights? Yeah. Temple plays defense. SMU, eh, they're more of an offensive juggernaut. I'm curious to see how the Owls do on the road. I am too. Um, th- this is one of those games that, under the radar, sneaky good. I- I've covered my fair share of American games over the last couple of seasons. Uh, seen Sonny Dykes and SMU and Dem Boys in person. Saw you know Jeff about the Collins, Seeker? Temple team. You know about the Seeker? The Seeker? Yeah, that's yeah. the uh, the robot that SMU uses to throw footballs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did send me something about that. That thing's weird, man. Like, wh- they're, they're coming for our jobs. What makes it What makes it any different than any other? Like, it varies the way it throws them? No, it throws perfect footballs with pinpoint accuracy anywhere on a football field. So does a jugs machine. No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Does it not? No. That thing is scary. I, I have seen it, though. Uh, but but yeah, so so uh, for for Temple, can they score on offense? That's the big question. And and you said it, SMU doesn't play a ton of defense. They're more interested on the offensive side of the football. Uh, but I'm not so sure that that Anthony Russo and Temple can keep up with the scoring with the points that SMU is going to put up there. Um, but Temple's defense is salty, man. They are salty, especially in the front seven. They got some dudes in the front seven. Yeah, your boy Jeff Collins recruited well to Philadelphia. Let's see if he can do that in the ATL. That's right. I went there. Uh, number 18, Baylor at Oklahoma State. Four o'clock kick. Baylor is an underdog yet again in a Big 12 game. I, I guess we're just going to keep playing this theme up all year where nobody believes in Matt Rule's guys. It took overtime, double overtime, I think. They beat Texas Tech over the weekend in Waco. Uh, a little bit of controversy there with a false snap. That was a fumble. Shouldn't have been a false snap. Big 12 came out. Kirby Hocutt, commissioner of the Big 12, came out and said, hey, dudes, we got it wrong. So, uh, yeah, I can see why Baylor's not favored in this game. Absolutely. They should have lost last week. 
and yet they didn't. They're sitting no, here no, no, at 6-0. No, 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 but like they actually – like there's some games where we come out and we say, hey, you should have lost if this and if that, if this. Like if the referees do their job correctly, Baylor loses the football game without a doubt. Like that, that was the end of the football game right there. Done. But sometimes they're not good at their jobs. So Baylor's sitting here at 6-0, and uh, they're a dog to the Cowboys. Do you think they lose Saturday in Stillwater? Talk to me, Rod Stradamus. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, Stillwater is a tough place to play. Oklahoma State's a tough team to pin down exactly who they're going to be. Um, so I, I, Rod Stradamus doesn't have a good feel for this one. Okay, Rod Stradamus has no pick in the Baylor Oklahoma State game. What about? Oh, if you want me to, I can pick it. I just don't have a, I don't have a premonition. No, no, no. no I don't. I don't have no, no. I only want Rod Stradamus. To appear when he has when he has seen the future. Okay, I, I'm yeah, not going to ask you to yeah. just start flipping a coin like Matthew McConaughey and two for the money. Okay, <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking about. I don't. I've never seen that movie, but it's funny. It's a terrible movie, but it's great. Matthew okay. McConaughey. Why? Why becomes, would I know? Why would I know what you're talking about if it's a terrible movie? It's got Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey and Rene Russo. It is a star-studded cast. It's also got Jeremy Piven. Star-studded cast. Uh, My point I, is, Matthew McConaughey becomes John Anthony. Okay. He becomes a shark, and he starts giving away picks. All this guy does is work out and pick winners. One of the great lines in cinematic history. And yet, the worm turns. And there's a point where John Anthony ends up on the bathroom floor in a cold sweat, flipping quarters to try to pick NFL games because he's lost his mojo. I don't want Rod Stradamus to be sitting in a bathroom flipping quarters trying to pick winners because that ain't you, bro. You're right. That You're ain't right. you. Now, Oklahoma State is off a bye, so I don't know if that that plays. In, in, the, in the conference I live in on a day-in, day-out basis, coming off of a bye is actually a bad thing, unless you're Clemson. Because nobody wins on off coming off of buys in this conference. It seems like can we have Virginia a discussion? Can, can, can we have Forest this discussion about Mike Gundy? By the way, if he I didn't sure. realize he was coming off a of bye week. Can that dude get a haircut? Like Why, is it? Can, can we just go ahead and just say, hey, hey, man, like, like, just why don't you clean this up a little bit? It's for the brand, bro. Come on, man. It's his thing. Well, I I get that. You know, I I understand the brand, but you know, I'm looking at a brand right now that's got uh, Oklahoma State at four and two. One and two in the league. Why don't you get a haircut, man? Why don't you change it up a little bit? <laughs> well, well they, one, of the, one of their losses in the league is to Texas. The other one is to Texas State. And you look at the Texas State game, it's probably the outlier. So let's give them some time, man. They got Baylor. They go to Iowa State. And then they got TCU before their next bye. That's the stretch where we can make a firm determination on who Oklahoma State is. So you don't think Mike Gundy should get a haircut? Correct. Okay. It wouldn't look right in the 88Z28 with the T-tops. If he didn't have it, is that English? Yeah, Hot Rod knows what I'm talking you talk, about. You talk about the, no, you talk about the robots coming for our job. Like I'm not sure you didn't just speak R2D2 language. The 88 Z28. You don't know what that is? A I'm assuming it's a car. Z28 yeah, Camaro yeah. with T-tops. Yeah, it's the yeah. classic mullet accessory. Okay. So, so is living in Stillwater. You apparently. got that and a Coors Light. Those are the two things you need. No, how Coozy? about a Coors Heavy banquet beer? The banquet. There you go. Uh, no, I am. A, I'm not. Not a. I wouldn't recognize a car name if you threw it out there. Um, in in the in the car lingo. But I bet you could guy. start rattling off some minivans, couldn't you, Roddy? Uh, Toyota Previa, Honda Odyssey, we got yeah. the Chrysler Pacifica. See, this guy's is. nickname is Hot Rod. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> uh, does Rod Stradamus have a premonition on Arizona State at Utah? I think the Utes beat Oregon State over the weekend, ninety-nine to three. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so. 
Let's see if I look into my crystal ball. Uh, it's Utah. Defense travels, man, and they're at home, so they don't have to travel. They got a great D, man. Great D. I still think it's Utah and Oregon and 10 other folks out West. I could be wrong. That, that I probably just KOD'd Oregon in Seattle this weekend, but... I mean, For those sure. have been the best teams look, in this the league. Way, the way that the Pac-12 goes. So, so look, I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, okay? The difference between – and they were coming at the ACC, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference between the Pac-12 and the ACC is a Clemson-caliber team. Clemson doesn't have those weeks where, like, Oregon's going to go up to Seattle, and they very well may take an L. Clemson doesn't do that. They may go to North Carolina and win by one, but they win. The difference between the ACC and the Big 12 is a Texas caliber team. Not super elite in the top tier, but it's the team that every year you think is going to beat the team in the top tier. That's the only difference between these leagues. It's, it's really one team. Like the Big 12, the, the Pac-12, and the ACC, they're all right there together. You just got an elite team in the ACC that the Pac-12 doesn't have and a second-tier team in the Big 12 that the ACC doesn't have. So, like, the, other than that, it's it's real kind of it's really kind of all meshed in there together. And so, yeah, Oregon could very well lose to with to Washington this week. Arizona State could very well go to Utah and beat them. And it like it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility, and nobody would really be surprised. I mean, Arizona State went to Cal and beat them, and we thought Cal was a great team with an incredible defense, the best defense that we've seen since sliced bread. So, uh, look, man, I don't know. I don't, we none of us know. Except for Roger Thomas, he knows, and he's got a great feeling about Penn State, Michigan. All right, let's talk about it. Under the lights, whiteout, 7.30 kick, Beaver Stadium. I told you earlier when we had Nicole Auerbach on, Penn State is a nine-point favorite. So, the you know, the, the whole talk that we've had all year about when Michigan faces a, a high-powered offense, they're going to get run. Well, Vegas has said, look, the line is nine. Yep. You think Michigan's going to lose by double digits on Saturday? I, or do you, I mean, Two-part question there. I'm not asking you to pick it against the spread, but that's what the spread is. I, I mean, at some point, Michigan's going to have to slow Penn State down or force red zone turnovers because Michigan's not going to find an offense in the next five days. Correct. And I think it's a. I think this is one of those war of attrition type games where Penn State wins every quarter by three points because Michigan's got a good defense, but Penn State's going to be able to move the ball more regularly. They're going to win every quarter by about three points. You're going to look up at the end of the day, and it's going to be a 12-point win. And you're like, oh, I didn't really feel like 12 points, but huh, I guess it was. That's how I feel this game's going to go. So is the talk when we reconvene next week going to be, boy, Penn State might be a legitimate threat to Ohio State for a Big Ten championship, or at least in the East? Or is the talk when you and I reconvene next week going to be, boy, Jim Harbaugh is in a world of pain? Like, I, like, I think I think the talk next week when we come back is going to be why do we keep thinking Michigan is going to be good? Why why do and I and I'm I picked him to be in the college football playoffs, so I'm squarely in there. Why why do we continue to buy into this Michigan program? Why? And I think it's because of the M on the side of the helmet and the name of the guy at the top. This is a team that can, every year they disappoint. Every single year. You get a new offensive coordinator this year, and it's all supposed to be great, and they can't score points. Can't win with them. <laughs> I just think when they were looking at offensive coordinators to bring to Ann Arbor, they picked the wrong one. D really? Who do you think they should have picked? Well, do you have I, another one I, that's I mean, in mind? I mean, look, you could have taken – I mean, you had other candidates out there. Well, the issue, the issue that they I had – They chose to go with Josh Gaddis, and it hasn't paid dividends. It's the same offense. 
the, the issue that well and so that should that should tell you who's really got their fingerprints on the offense if you bring in a new offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis comes from from Alabama goes to Michigan and the offense looks the exact same that Alabama offense didn't look like that and I bet you the next offense that Josh Gaddis runs ain't gonna look like that so the question is how much is Jim Harbaugh involved in it and and the the issue that I had with the coordinator pick, if any, is that you brought a guy to run the ship of one of the premier programs in college football on the offensive side of football who hadn't called plays before. So if you're going to have any gripe about it, it's that you you brought in a guy that had not sat in the seat previously, and then you're going up against uh, uh, defenses in the Big Ten that are some of the best in the country. So that was if you had a gripe, that's my only one. But but look, you got to have somebody else that you'd rather bring in, and anybody who has that Alabama pedigree is going to move to the top of the line. Yeah, I just you know, there's another guy with Alabama pedigree who's a head coach in College Park, in Mike Loxley, and it's just like, look, maybe Mike Loxley wanted to be a head coach, and there was yeah, an he offer wasn't there. Going, he wasn't sure. going to go be a, a coordinator again. Yeah. At, at a, I mean, that, he'd done that. It's, that's been there, done that. He was he was taking the step to be the head coach. Now, now the the question that I have is is why aren't we seeing more of these people go and sniff around Lincoln Riley in in Oklahoma? Like, why isn't anybody trying to pick off his assistants and just throw money at them? I'm tired of seeing everybody go after Saban assistants and them going elsewhere and being, eh. Like, why, why aren't we going after some of these other guys? Well, I, I don't understand, man. Hey, I, don't understand. I think Lincoln Riley would look really good, uh, you know, stalking the sidelines of the Benz next year for, uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. What do you think? <laughs> I would. Yeah. You want me to reach out to Arthur Blank and see if he's? Uh, I want you. I want you. If we're going to go into Falcons talk, I want you to end the podcast. Let's well, get out of here, it's, man. It's that time Lincoln anyway. Riley we, to the we've, Falcons. We've got to end the podcast because we're out of time. But I mean, look, the NFL is going to come knocking. It's not. It's not he just be, smoke and mirrors out there in Norman. Okay. He would be. He would be. And and I'm not saying that he is this. Uh, I would strongly advise him, like he cares about my advice, to stay in college, man. Stay in college. You're going to make plenty of money. You're going to be known as one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of college football. You don't want to get on that three-year treadmill of the NFL where you're hitching your wagon to some quarterback that who knows if you picked him or not. You got you can't just roll in the best recruits. You can't you know draw plays against guys that have you know never seen anything. You're, you're not going. You're older than everybody on the team, which Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I guess Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury probably is. Is Larry Fitzgerald older than Cliff Kingsbury? I feel like they're the same age. Mm, good question. I feel like they're the same age. Like Cliff's in his upper thirties, and Larry's not far far behind. But anyway, you just deal with a lot of stuff in the NFL. Stay in college. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I don't want to hitch my wagon to Noodle Arm either. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I've I've seen I've seen guys in college that throw the football harder than number two does. Seriously, Bro, you're gonna have to stop with the Matt Ryan disrespect in this podcast, man. Lincoln Riley and Larry Fitzgerald are the same age. There you go. What about Cliff Kingsbury and Larry Fitzgerald? Cliff's a little bit older. Cliff's like 38 or 9. I think Lincoln's 34 or 5. 35. They're both 36. Cliff is... This is good radio. 40. This is good radio. Cliff's 40? He's 40. God, I hope I look like that when I'm That's 40. Good. Oh, does he look good? Have you turned 30 yet, bro? I am 30, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's, and yeah, if you on. looked at my face, it's a hard 30. Yeah. I right. do not look like Cliff Kingsbury, I'll tell you that. All right, let's get out of here. Nobody cares about your face <laughs> and what, what it looks like at 30. Come on, man, you're a baby. Seriously. I mean, you are a child, Ronnie Jones. Unbelievable. Hey, enjoy South Florida. Thanks, man. Uh, soak up the sun. 
Always a good time. Because you know what's going to happen when Toe meets Leather for that football game. Oh, we're going to have a great broadcast. We are in for one of the big matchups in the Coastal Division this year. Look, Miami is basically two games, and this is their second game in their Coastal Single Elimination Tournament because they've got two losses in the Coastal. If they get three, can they still win it? Yeah, but no three-loss team has ever won a division in the ACC outright since the ACC started having divisions in 2005. So it is a riveting affair Saturday wow. at 12. Roddy, you didn't need to fire all your bullets there. I mean, save it for the broadcast, buddy. No, I no, mean, no. That's just, that's just the teaser. Oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg? That's, that's just to get you to the broadcast. Man, those those folks who do statistics for the ACC Network, man, they are, uh, they're pretty good at their job. Yep. They're pretty yep. good that, at their job. I'm glad you said that because that's me. <laughs> Roddy Jones, ACC Network, Georgia Tech at the U, Saturday at noon. He'll be on the call alongside West Durham. Uh, thank you to Nicole Auerbach, friend of the program, CSN alum, who's doing big things with the Athletics, Sirius XM, and, uh, and the Big Ten Network. And uh, we appreciate Nicole stopping by the show earlier today. Thanks to Cerber. Thanks to Roddy. On behalf of the gang, I'm Stephen Hartzell. We are out for now. We will talk to you guys on Thursday. We got Wayne Cook. Kids call him Cookie. Dropping by uh, to talk a little Pac-12 football and uh, everything else going on in the world of uh, amateur athletics. Talk to you guys later at CS Now Tweets on the Twitter. So long. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate... You can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.